0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Learners Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything.
1: My name is Kayla Mason. And my name is Todd Hixsonball aka The Todd Father.
0: And we have a phenomenal episode for you today. Today we're talking with Tom Chef Schunas, also known as Chef. He is the executive director of student strategy at Orange. And before that, he was North Point Ministry's multi-campus director of transit which is their middle school ministry for 12 years and so today we're talking with him about his experience at transit we talk about um, some personal growth and some leadership development and some of the things that have helped him continue to grow as a leader as well and it's really just a phenomenal episode
1: and we have a lot of fun we had a lot of fun doing this episode but this is a fun episode this is just fun i i enjoy this yeah well hey caleb Yes. Is it time?
0: It's always time.
1: It's always time for the resource of the week. This is the Learner's Corner approved resource of the week, and I have it this week. And it is a podcast. Surprise, surprise. It's a podcast called the... Normally, I'm the one who brings I the know. Podcasts. It's called the Disrupt Yourself Podcast by Whitney. Ooh, I've heard you talk about by this By Whitney before. Johnson. Yeah, Whitney Johnson. And so, um, there's a specific episode, though. By the way, the whole podcast is great. Um, she has really fun conversations with a lot of people. But I felt like this one was really, really um, interesting because it kind of goes along with what we do. Um, so she she interviews a guy named David Blake. And David Blake is the co-founder and executive chairman of Degreed and co-author of the new book, The Expertise Economy, How the Smartest Companies Are Learning to Engage, Compete, and Succeed. Now, the great thing about this is the episode is titled this, Caleb. Championing Lifelong Learning.
0: Whoa. We might need to have this guy on the podcast. Yeah,
1: championing lifelong long learning, and this guy is phenomenal. I really, I say the word phenomenal a lot. Okay, so I good. gotta
0: know what's one thing that you learned. One from of the things, one of the
1: things that I got away from it is just because we're, you're smart in school does not mean that you're actually an intelligent person.
0: Yeah. That's so true. I it, mean,
1: it's completely true. Yeah, and and so one of the things that he's talking about that he talks about in this episode is how, um, you know, people have degrees all the time, but you would never hire them. And so he's he's working in his in his business called Degree to to kind of, um, it's a degree gives them gives people a platform to find the best resources for learning new concepts and skills across a variety uh, of platforms so it's a place where you can go to learn how to do different things that's kind of what the business is and so he what he's saying is hey we want people to learn and know and understand skills that are relevant to what they're trying to do and just because you have a degree doesn't mean that it's that that you, you know what you're doing so guys just check out this episode check out this podcast um, Whitney Johnson's phenomenal so um, that's, that's the resource of the week.
0: Well, we, as great as that resource is, we're going to have a great conversation with chef. And so without any further wait, here's our conversation. With chef go Browns. Well, chef, we're so excited to have you on the learner's corner podcast today.
2: I'm excited to be here. Thanks for asking. I love what you guys do.
0: Yeah, you know, you've led multi-site middle school ministry at North Point Ministries um, for over a decade. And So just as we're getting started, we just kind of want to ask you, you know, in your time leading that, what worked for you and what didn't work for you?
2: Yeah, specifically for multi-site. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, when I started at North Point, we weren't. We were a church that had this group of people that met and watched videos south of us in Buckhead, and then so, you know, from the beginning, we really explored what it meant to be multi-site. I think our first our 1st multi-site exploration was actually, if you've ever been to the North Point main cam- campus, was the West Auditorium, and so it was a separate room. We did live music, but then we broadcast the message next door, and legend has it that, you know, Andy was walking out from a message, and somebody came out of the West and said, that was great. You could do that anywhere. And so um, we were running out of seats, which is why we built the West. There was a small group of people in Buckhead who wanted to be a part of it. Um, And so we went off. But from the beginning, this is where I think um, my multi-site learning varies from most multi-site learning, because from the beginning, and I always ask people this question at the beginning, I say, would you say you are one church with many locations or many churches with the same mission, vision, strategy, and pat and preacher, really. It's not pastor, it's it's speaker or teacher or whatever. And ninety percent of people say, Oh yeah, we're one campus or one church with many locations. And um from the beginning, that was not what we were doing. Andy was very clear from the beginning, he does not want north point south, north point east, north point west. Um, that he wanted um he wanted many churches with the same mission vision, and for right now, speaker. Um, so that's not necessarily the long term play I think for North Point campuses, but it is. You know, when you've got Andy Stanley, you may as well broadcast him. Um, but what a lot of people don't know is, you know, um, probably twenty to 30, probably thirty percent of the messages are not Andy. And when and and they also don't know that any Sunday you don't want to take Andy, you don't have to take Andy. It's up to each campus um, to do that because they're individual churches. I think from the beginning, he wanted it to be um, he wanted it to be their own campuses with their own, um, you know, identity. I think. um, I I think that's because he really wanted to make sure that leadership development and leadership was a big part of every campus. And if you are just told what to do. Um, that's one thing if you are, you know, told that you have this opportunity to have a program and we're going to support you with some content, but at the end of the day, it's your decision. That's a whole different experience for, for the leaders at a different campus. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So in the midst of that, while, while you leading across, you know, in middle school ministry, what were yeah. some of the things that you learned that was like, okay, I learned that this works well leading across. You know multiple campuses this didn't work well. What were some of those things?
2: Yeah, I think um I had to learn to lead through influence as opposed to authority um, because we were many churches with the same mission and vision on the org charts, we would have solid lines and dotted lines, and what that meant was as the multi campus director, I had a dotted line to each of the multi campus leaders, you know um so, for instance, Jen at North Point, who is leading, you know, our biggest campus, um, she worked for Clay Scroggins. You know, that was her direct line, but I was a dotted line. And and that was a challenge because as far as Jen's leadership development, I knew more about her day to day than her direct line boss did. You know, now Clay's got tons to teach. Don't get me wrong. But um, but Jen, you know, I, I had to lead through influence. I had to coach. And, you know, I was always trying to be the first to remind them that, you know, I'm here as the multi-campus team to support you. And, um, so we led meetings differently. Like I still felt like I was leading the mission and vision and leading the direction, but it was not about my ideas. It was about our ideas. So I had to be very careful to really, you know, I, I used to joke and say, Hey, I'm only going to point to the org chart on this decision two or three times a year, but the rest of it, we're going to decide. Um, and you know, they're all smart and brilliant young leaders. And if I ask the right questions, you know, they normally not not that I'm manipulating them. But at the end of the day, you know, everybody needs to leave that meeting and feel like it's our idea. Um, and that doesn't mean we come to all come to the same conclusion and all agree. But it does mean that we're all going to move in the in the same direction. So that was one thing I learned. I think I had to we had to learn to choose between efficiency and leadership development. Um, uh, the most efficient multi campus model is Mothership tells you what to do, and the rest of the folks do it well that's that 's more like life Church is a great example of, of this. They are one church with many locations they one church one message, and this is the way we do it and um which is it 's a great approach but um and it 's efficient so they can move fast um, but you know for me. I wouldn't want any job there except the main job because I like to lead and explore. Does that make sense? And so at North Point, I always was like, you know, at a campus, you know, I want leaders to develop, which meant if you were looking in from the outside, you might think that I was being super inefficient because there were so many places where I could have just kind of said, no, this is what we're going to do. You show this one video. You know, and somebody else wants to try something different. And I would often say, Well, let's see how it works and make sure that we come back and, and talk. And efficient, no, but it was an investment in a young leader to give them the opportunity to do that, if that makes sense. And I'm not saying life church doesn't do that. I'm just saying, you know, when push comes to shove at Life Church, efficiency's higher on it. When push comes to shove at North Point, the development of those young leaders out on the other campuses tends to win out and it's more expensive. You know. The other thing I learned was you do not save money. You know, I think a lot of people go multi campus because they think it's a cheap way to do it. And um they do things like, Oh yeah, we started another campus and you're in charge of the environment there that's going on at the same time twenty miles away. Well, that's not really a possible thing, you know. It's funny how they do that to student ministry and children's ministers, right? They they give them more responsibility and pay them the same. But at the end of the day, you know, there's more cost out there than, than we count through money. Right. I mean, that's when families pay. That's when, you know, your sanity starts to drop off. That's when you're going to lose someone early for ministry, talented young leaders that you've burnt, you know, you've run into the ground. Um, but I hear it all the time. So, um, my number one piece of advice for anybody who wants to go multi-campus is don't, um, that's my number one piece of advice. And if you are going to do it, um, don't think it's going to be cheaper. You are, you know, here are some of the big things that you're going to need to talk about and have a good reason. I mean, if you really think you're so amazing, that there needs to be a church just like yours in another community, you know, um, maybe there does, but maybe there does need to be one there. But but usually I think it's probably better to just help plant a church like yours in a community and let those leaders adjust to the community and do the things the community needs and figure out ways to support them. But Anyway, I don't know if that made any sense, oh, yeah. but that was my yeah. do you think uh, that, is- that was my soapbox. Anything else you'd like me to say so that I can these people can go yell at their lead pastors for overworking them and <laughs> well, under-resourcing them? Hey, Anything? So, <laughs> do you think that that's the
1: next iteration is is church planting versus multi-site because what I'm starting to see, and that maybe this is just an Ohio thing, right? or um, or like, you know, northern part of the country, but I'm starting to see a lot of these churches Instead of of doing multi like more of a traditional multi site you know life church model, I'm really seeing yeah. people more than anything planting churches again. Right, where you know you have a church that's being planted maybe thirty forty miles away, and you know the the the, church is, the, the the mother church if you want to call it that is yeah. is kind of there is a support structure, but I mean that's a that's a church that functions on its own and has a person who yeah. speaks, right. Is that coming back around, do you see? Or I mean what's what are you seeing with that?
2: I mean, I think what I'm seeing is a bunch of churches who, you know, they would do crazy things like, hey, let's launch ten campuses this year, which is honestly I think a goal based in vanity. You know, it's like what that's a did you guys do that or something? (laughs) No. No. We had a different goal. Well, no, but you know that, but a goal. You know, to to launch a church because you had a true need to do it. Like we were out of seats, it was either big, build a bigger church, or figure out another way. And technology around us had changed, and so we would pick our campuses based on where people were coming from, so we could empty seats at the main campus and refill them because we weren't done reaching. You know, that city. So that was one thing we were, you know, trying to do. Um, so I. A lot of people don't have real good reasons to do it. So what I'm back back to my point. What I'm seeing is a lot of churches who did that. They're closing those down, and you know, um, starting to get you know go back to fewer campuses because um, one they realize this is not cheap, you know, and two I'm running people into the ground, and three the quality is not good enough to keep people around, especially when it comes to the family ministries experiences and everything else, which I think is the way you grow a church. Honestly, I mean, long term, I think the way you grow a church is twofold. You have to have a great speaker, but you have to have great family ministries. And um, and I think that's a, a way to do it. I think the other thing I'm seeing is, which I like, it's, which is really North Point's multi-campus model really was kind of a church planning model, except for things that just made sense to centralize, HR, IT, these bigger... You know, these bigger sort of departments, maybe even the missions department, you know, who's got the relationships with the mission organizations around the country, those make sense to share. But ministry is face to face, eyeball to eyeball stuff. And you have to drive the leadership and the decision making as close to that relationship as possible. I mean, all the way down to it. And so you have to have leadership on the ground at your churches or you're a movie theater, you know? So, it, you know, it's it's ministries. It's a personal thing. So you just have to have people in the community who love the community or are trying to reach the community there. And if it makes sense to have HR centralized, then that makes tons of sense. You know, So I think that's kind of what I'm seeing. Really, probably what you're saying is that these it's it's moving from this. It's really moving from one church, many locations to independent churches who are, you know, working together where it makes sense.
1: Right. So, uh, one of the other things I'm starting to notice is that you know some of these churches that have gone multi-site, you know, they're into this thing now eight, ten years, and they're going, "Uh uh-oh, there's a there's a reshuffle. Um, There's something wrong, and 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 they're identifying it back to the family ministry, and they're going, this thing is busted, and so they're they're starting to go through these these reconstructions of, of their family ministry areas. If you were stepping into a role or if you were being asked by a friend to help diagnose things and begin to to, to start to, to rebuild things like that, uh, and I know later on we're we're going to get into a little bit about a talk that you gave at Orange Conference, but one of the things I'm curious about is on a multi-site level, when you have a family ministry that's just busted, where do you start? Like, where yeah. do, what do you do? And I know some of it might be specific to the church, but... You know, where do you start whenever it's a systemic thing like that?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, those they bust for a couple of reasons. One is a lack of strategy. um, And two is a lack of great volunteers, you know, and um, a lack of strategy will eventually lead to a lack of volunteers, you know. So, you know, those both of those things. um both of those things really add up or, or they really spiral into each other. Um, and so fixing it is not a short-term deal. Like, you know, it, it really comes down to, like, I think mo- most of the time in these multi-campus churches, things are breaking at the family ministry level because of what we said. They under and you know, and overwork their staff. And vision, keeping vision is a full-time job, for a group of volunteers. You gotta remember, like, you could have small group leaders sign up for three years, but you have gotta constantly be reminding them of the culture's values. You gotta constantly be reminding them of, you know, why we're here. You gotta constantly be telling them how important they are. You gotta constantly be resourcing them. And then, you know, your church starts three campuses and says you're in charge of all three of them, you know? And I I had not figured out how to be in two or three places at once yet. Even if we can, you know, Skype, like it's just not the same thing, you know, Um, especially when it comes to ministry. Ministry is a face to face, you know, relational thing. And that goes down to leading your volunteers. So, I mean, I would I would talk about I would ask them about their strategy. I would look at what they're doing during the week. I would try to figure out, you know, what are the things that what are the things that you're doing that you don't have to do? So. So for instance, my job now at Orange, that's the sort of thing we talk about all the time. Or what are the things I can do for somebody that anybody can do so that they can go out and do the thing that only they can do on the ground? Does that make sense? Well, I can write I can set you up to write to do a great talk on Sunday. I can give your small group leaders amazing questions that were thought through, you know, by a psychologist and, and you know, really thinking developmentally. I can make you a bumper video so you don't have to worry about it now student pastors hate to hear this because they love that part of the job, right? That's what makes them, you know, that that they're a lot of them are production oriented. But at the end of the day, your kids don't know who made the bumper video. But what I can't do for you is sit across and decide this is a great small group leader and cast a vision for why you need to stick with them for two and three and four years. You know, Um, that's the thing that only you can do. So um, that would be that'd be some of what I would talk about is like, okay, let's talk about your strategy, long-term strategy. Let's talk about what you're doing on a weekly basis. Let's talk about the fact that you are a human being and you know, you've got a family, maybe or maybe not. Maybe you can put 70, 80 hours into it, but you can't put beyond that, you know, um, during that season. And then let's let's talk about what you have to do, you know, because it's you, and then let's start chipping away at it and don't expect this thing to turn around in the next year, maybe year and a half, maybe two, you know, because this is, this is a long-term culture takes forever to change. And what you're looking at when you see a broken family ministry system is a broken culture and, you know, speeches are great to get things moving. They're important. They're a tool, you know, but they're not it, you know, you know, you like to think you could have that brave heart moment and turn the whole thing around by next Sunday, you know, good luck with that. So
0: Okay, so I want to go back to something uh, that you said that you learned um, from your time leading, uh, you know, at North Point across uh, multi-site and stuff like that. You talked about the importance of, you know, whenever you're coming in with an idea, that you're making it our idea. And one of the things that, because I'm, I'm in a multi-site, and one of the things that I face is the tension between, or almost allowing, like, the idea that I come up with and that we go with. Becoming our idea and not just my idea. What have you learned about that and how to do that?
1: And remember, Caleb's bosses are going (laughs) to (laughs) listen.
2: So, Caleb, are you saying that your idea uh, becomes our idea and you lose it? Or are you saying their idea, they're trying to make it seem like our idea, and you're sitting there going, this doesn't feel like our idea. This feels like I've got to go do your idea.
0: No, what I'm saying is... How do I let the idea that either I come up with or spark with become an R idea yeah. type thing?
2: Yeah. Um, I think one of the best things I learned to do was to quit making statements and start asking questions. Um, and I was not good at this for a long time. And I get when I get tired or when I get frustrated. I get, I'm terrible at this and I just make statements and I yell at people that they should understand that I know what I'm talking about, but but I do my best to to not do that. Um, but I do it sometimes, a lot of times. So, you know, again, like even those, even that, um, statement I made a little bit ago that it was, Hey guys, I'm only going to try to do this two or three times a year, but I, I need you to look at the org chart and this is the decision we're getting. Though you don't, you know, you disagree. This is the decision we need. To make I need you to trust me that I might know something you don't know you know um I remember a couple of times we had a decision about a personality who was gonna do certain things, and I knew it it wasn't it wasn't important necessarily that everybody understood some of the stuff because it was you know just a story that didn't it was it would have been gossipy to say that, and I just had to say you guys just need to trust me on that one, but I think you know really coming in with saying hey we've got let's let's talk about you know. What's most important? The other thing I think that's really important is we would spend an inordinate amount of time talking about our values. And um, I would say to uh, the group all the time, hey, you know, I would go through these different exercises and there's a few ways to go through it. One of them was to just say, hey, if we could do one thing, if we could only do one thing for middle school students, what would it be? And we would put down all the things we do. And it was like, okay, if we could do one thing, what would it be? And we would argue about that, and it would come down to we would find great leaders. All right, so the most important thing we do is find great people to walk with kids for a season. Are we sure about that? Yeah, if we could only do one thing, that would be the thing we do because, you know, all right, all right. if we could do two things, what would it be? And it was such an interesting conversation as it it went on because what we found out that our programming actually ended up being – like the third most important thing we do, and that the programming was there not for the sake of programming, but the programming was there for the sake of setting up small group leaders for success. So that really flipped our world upside down. But that conversation about values really helps everybody during the week. As long as we're repeating it and talking about it all the time, most people are starting to make decisions on their own that align with the whole thing. What you find is, You find that you are, uh, you no longer are constantly being a policeman as the multi-campus director. Does that make sense? Like nobody loves a policeman. So you let the values police decisions and then just those few like, you know, you know, mistakes here or there. And then if something was getting off, it was often a, I just call it out and say, hey, so give you an example. We don't use chairs we didn't use chairs at North Point for middle schoolers or high schoolers, for that matter. They sat on the floor. We liked it because, for a few reasons, but they sat in circles. They sat with their groups better when there weren't chairs. And one of our campus directors decided to move to chairs for a season because he moved into a new environment. The environment was a little bit crazy. And he felt like chairs would bring some you know, order to it, and it did. But then he never switched back to go back out of chairs. Um, and so this became a decision. Like This became one of those things like, well, I hate it that you use chairs as the multi-campus director. But is this, uh, is this a, you know, and so we ended up, I, I felt like I never wanted to push it. And I was constantly trying to convince him it was a bad idea. I remember sitting there saying to him, like, bro, hey we have six campuses and five directors would never consider chairs. I'm telling you, I would never consider chairs. What is it that thinks you're still right about this? And he would come up with, well, the kids don't want, and you never ask middle schoolers what they want because they'll change their mind tomorrow. You know, you you tell them what they need. So then uh, that might've been a controversial statement. We may need to come back to but you know, Uh, eventually I ended up in the, you know, with the lead pastor talking about, and the lead pastor so wisely said, he's like, here's the thing, you know, there are some things that are like strategic and he feels like that we need to stay in line with those. There are some things that, that are just part of the local flavor. He said, it feels to me like no chairs is really raised to the strategic level of how you guys do ministry. And he said, I think Justin, you shouldn't do chairs. And I think it's chef's call. You know, I shouldn't have said Justin. Sorry. So, <laughs> that's okay. He'll be all right. He's a lead pastor now with a big wig. So, you know, like half of the guys I hired and I'm still here. <laughs> We're going middle schoolers. Anyway.
1: <laughs> we can edit things, Chef. Don't
2: worry. Yeah, Good. Good. Good.
0: So, so in the in the midst of, you know, the va- the values conversation, what else have you learned about you know, really centering things around the values and making those um, a priority?
2: Well, I think, you know, the one thing I had to learn was my job as the point person was to repeat myself uh, often. And so, you know, just because I feel like I understand it, you know, it, I it, especially in a multi-campus organization, your number one challenge is going to be what the business people call cascading information. You've probably, in a multi-campus church setting been like, what do you mean you don't know about that decision? You know, you're sitting there and they're going, weren't you in that meeting? No, I wasn't in that meeting. You don't remember who's in what meetings. And just because you've decided doesn't mean that the world knows. And so, um, I found myself setting up regular repeating meetings at every level. Um, so for me as the multi-campus director, I would meet every other week with groups, directors, and those were the people in charge of our small group leaders from all the campuses, which was my biggest meeting and my favorite meeting, actually. Um, I would meet every other week with all the directors. I would meet once a month with all the production people, and I would meet once a month with all the logistical folks. And so we would have these meetings and I would buy them lunch. And those meetings were for them to ask questions and for me to kind of go through what decisions have been made and all the meetings I've been in just to make sure everybody's on the same page. On top of that, their campus directors are supposed to let them know about all the decisions that were made in the meeting. But, you know, life is busy. So you've got to have some redundancy. And if people feel like if people already know the information, that's a win. But you will constantly feel like you're repeating yourself. I like to compare like. Worship leaders who come in and say, "Are we really going to play that song again?" And I hate that song. Well, well you've played that song a hundred times in the last month, you know, through four four services each weekend. And but the kids who come half the time have heard it twice, and they love it still. You know what I mean? Same thing with you know information. Like you have to again. <laughs> People said, what do you do? I said, well, my main job is to sit in meetings and repeat myself as the multi-campus. That was my job description as the multi-campus leader, because it was about information and hire great people and trust them to do their job, you know, and then hopefully every five to ten percent of my job is policing it, you know, with strong values. So repeat myself, repeating the values, repeating the decisions. Minimize the policing because nobody likes to work for a police. You know the police. Nah, let's not say that. Doesn't even sound right, does it? Nobody likes people to be. <laughs> nobody likes to be. Uh, you know, corrected. Let's say that. Yeah. Let's not get into the whole police <laughs> thing because I don't, Yeah. Anyway. So, so, so it's a good does thing. Any, the question the I don't learners. know that I answered the question. It's a good yeah.
1: thing the learners in corner it's, the learners corner employs a really good editor.
2: Oh, good, <laughs> good. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. <laughs> he's taking notes of all the things to cut his page is full
0: <laughs> okay so uh ear- earlier you had talked about um just the importance of strategy and i'm thinking of the person who's listening and they're like man that sounds great what does that mean if i don't have a strategy what can i do to start implementing one
2: what do you do to start to have a strategy yeah um well, I mean, strategy is, you know, a plan with an end in mind, right? So that's where you have to start. Like, what is it that we're going for? I think one of the problems in youth ministry and, and ministry in general is, you know, we forget what our end is because of the way we measure things. So, you know, we kind of we kind of do our job like our job is to make sure there's lots of kids there this weekend, you know, because attendance is the only thing churches are measuring a lot of the times. But that's not it. I mean, your, your goal is, I mean, for us, I would say, what is it that we want? What is it that we want for our middle schoolers? What is it that we want for our children? What is it that we want that's biblically sound and developmentally appropriate? What is it that we want? Well, for us, you know, in middle school, this is the time when your brain's coming online developmentally. This is the time for the first time your mind starts, you can actually, you know, what, what the White Coast coates call metacognition it's your ability to think about what you're thinking about while you're thinking about it you know it's this level to kind of hover above yourself and those are the things that's where you really start to think things like do i really believe in god or you know what is wrong with me it's when we start to figure out that there's an unlovable thing inside of all of us this is this is kind of where this happens and so for us it was like Middle school is the place our goal is to help a middle schooler you know get a faith of their own, a strong faith of their own. This is when they're gonna transfer from their parents' faith to their own faith and you know it's what we it's what peter it's what um Paul talks about when he's talking about to Timothy you know that that you got your faith from your your mother got it from her grandmother your mother gave it to you, and now I can see that it's you know um it's in you and it's your own faith so that's really what we're we we're kind of going for. So your strategy is what are we really after? And now it's like, okay, now what does that look like? What does that look like in a middle schooler? What does that look like? Does it look like that they come to church every week? Does it look like they read their Bible? Does it look like, you know, and for us it was, it looks like that they're processing their faith. They're not just listening, but they're talking about it, that they're thinking about it and that they're applying it. You know, so what does it look like for service? What does it look like? So. You know, then we moved to, well, that that can't happen in rows. It's not just about information. It's about processing it, and it's about wrestling with it. It's about having a safe place to ask your questions. And so then it was like, well, then groups really is the way to do that, because I can only do that for so many kids, you know. Um, so if you have a ministry bigger than eight and that has different genders, you better be recruiting people because you can't do more than, you know, you can't really pastor more than that. And, and if it's in the middle school or high school, you know, you have to do your best to really get the groups by gender because they're wrestling with different things. And there's some things they're just never going to wrestle with in front of, you know, the other gender. So, um, so then you can hear how the strategy is starting to form, right? As you start to talk about, well, what does it look like? Well, how do we move them a little bit? How do we get them to take a step for that? Well, maybe if we take them to, you know, at sixth grade, they got to learn how to to kind of do that. So let's just do a sixth grade camp where they kind of go off and they can really focus on, and that could be a good catalyst for community. And so all of these steps start to, you know, start to form. And then you've constantly got it. The beauty of family ministry, and which I, it frustrates me to death when I watch churches not do this, but it's a conveyor belt of kids coming through, right? So there is so much opportunity not to throw the thing out and start again, but to refine it so that it works better. You know what I mean? So, for instance, with the sixth grade camp, and, you know, somebody's listening to this and saying we're not big enough for just a sixth grade camp. I get it. This is just an example. Um, but you can still have a, an experience you give your sixth graders every year, and you can blow their up, Right. Cardboard testimonies, these things you know throwing your sin into the fire, putting your sin up onto the cross, all these old things that work, it is not um shameful to use an old thing that works because it works, and they've never seen it before. you know what I mean to them, it's the greatest idea ever, and you're just it's wise to do that, right? You have too much to do in ministry. Let me say that again. You have too much to do in ministry. So stop like creating extra stuff to do. Refine what works, make it even better. And um, you know, so same thing. Like you do uh if you're in middle school ministry or junior high and you've got seventh and eighth graders, maybe you're in California where they kind of separate them out that way, and you've just got two, you know, seventh and eighth graders, and you do a disciple now a weekend every year, fine, find two topics that kill and refine them every year because. You do one topic, you do two topics, that kid graduates, you do that old topic from two years again, that new sixth grader is now a seventh grader, and they're hearing it for the first time, and they think you're the smartest person of all time. And you get to use your jokes, all you know, the jokes that work all the time. So stories that work, jokes that work. As a communicator, you're refining the way you do that, and... um in fact, we used to always say that, like, is is camp this year the beads example or is it the mirror example? Because you know, we would use that on stage as communicators, and that's how we would start to remember, you know, which camp it was this year, but we would refine and make it better. Um, again, that's a long answer to your question, but strategy is just you thinking about are in is what I'm doing um getting to the most important thing and you've got to define what the most important thing is you're doing to kids. Now. Back to attendance. Attendance I'm not saying you shouldn't measure attendance. Attendance tells you something, but the point is not attendance. And right? I mean, if you want high attendance in high school, then serve beer. They'll be <laughs> they'll be there every week. You know what I mean? Free beer. So um that's a terrible idea. And nobody's we're
1: not suggesting to do that.
2: <laughs> no. We don't but need emails. Well, let me be clear. I I'm suggesting you do that if that at the end of the day you know you're just worried about attendance you sh- you should do that you should do that that's a you know but if you're doing that you also should not be working at a church if it's all about yeah. attendance you know so
0: <laughs> okay so what whenever it comes to strategy what do you think most people don't think about
2: what they don't think about yeah when it comes to strategy what's the thing that they don't think about um Probably the thing we talked about earlier is time. Um, I a couple things. One is I see people give up on strategy all the time before that, you know, they, they, they move on to the next strategy. They go to a conference, they hear a new idea and you know, they flip to the next thing and then they're like, it didn't work. Well, you didn't, you know, this is a two or three year like process and you gave up on it three weeks in, you know what I mean? And everybody didn't think it was a good idea. You know, right out of the gate. Well, guess what? You know, welcome to leadership. You know, change. Nobody's going to love change. I mean, not no, not nobody, but lots of people don't like change. It's just kind of the, the way it is. I think the other thing um, that people don't think about when it comes to um, this is um, everybody wonders why something didn't work, but very few people stop to figure out why something did work. And so I think you should do both. I think you should, at the end of every um, event, at the end of, you know, every new anything that you do, every Sunday, what worked and why did it work? And then, you know, the why did it work may lead you to other ideas on why it works, you know. Um, What didn't work is easy to talk about. Um, But it's also, you know, like just because it didn't work doesn't mean it wasn't a good idea. So you know, really talking about the why it didn't work, and maybe we should try it again, and maybe we should try it in a different way. You know, you've all probably been in meetings where you have a good idea, and the person just dismisses it because two years ago, oh, we tried that and it didn't work. Yeah, but you're a terrible leader, and I'm better, so I bet it'll work this time. You know, or at least that's what my brain says on the inside. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's like every. That all leaders think that way, right? I mean, that's the thing that Andy taught me is. If you're a good leader, you're always kind of thinking about the other leader and the decisions they make, and you're thinking about how you could do it better. It's just kind of a natural process on the inside. And so you can't be the insecure leader that doesn't understand that, right? Young leaders are always going to think that they could have done it better than you. And if you are an insecure leader, you are not a great leader. So kind of the way it got insecure leaders, man, I, I, they're the worst thing that ever happened to the church. And I've been one, you know, but if your this isn't this isn't in our script or, or, or the okay, set of go, questions go, go, go for it. If your identity is in your leadership, you can't be a secure leader. Does that make sense? If your identity is the fact that you are the leader, then every new idea from someone else is a threat, you know, and you are not gonna respond well. But if your identity is that you've been given the stewardship of leadership and that you you know that it's outside your position. Um, That's what frees you up to be a secure leader. And I'm telling you, I, more, more years of my leadership, I was the insecure leader than, than I wasn't. And I, I'll, you know, if I get tired or if I get, you know, I can be an insecure leader again tomorrow, um, easily because that's just, that's just what happens when I start to (laughs) lose touch with, with my identity. And as I, you know, am growing closer and closer to, to Jesus, you know, that's one of the things. But, I feel like the older I get, the more time I'm spending leading as a more secure leader. I've still got a long way to go, but man, I talk to so many young leaders, and he or she is just dealing with an insecure leader, and i I just don't know what to tell him a lot of times. you know, I don't want to tell him, yeah, that's a dead end job. you should probably get out of that um but sometimes it do, you know, and sometimes it is, so
0: Okay, so what what have you done to become a more secure leader?
2: Oh, good gracious. Um, that is a great question. We know um, that's why we asked it. <laughs> it's the learner's corner. Uh, honestly, I've done a lot of counseling. Um, I think for all of us... Um, between the ages of 35 and 45, me sitting at 45, um, if you've been dealing with, you know, even ADD or some sort of insecure thing, or you've been carrying something that you just can't kind of shake, that's when it's going to come home to roost in a in a big way. And you really need to do, you know, hard work because, you know, uh, I have a I have a friend who I asked to mentor me, which would be another step. I'll talk about that in a second. And he said the other day, he's like, your 60s and 70s are going to be great because you started working on what I worked on. What I started in my 50s, you started in your 30s. Does that make sense? And I think there's a, there's a, um, there's a time through your 20s when you're just kind of doing. And then as you hit into your 30s, then you start thinking about really figuring out what makes you tick what ticks you off, those sorts of things. And then you need to dig in and figure out why those are. So a counselor is a great spot. I have found that, um, I can go about a year and a half to two years with a counselor before I need to kind of change and maybe take some time off and go on to another one. Every counselor's kind of got a different shaped crowbar to crack you open, you know? And so, um, you know the one counselor is just really good about popping one side open and then you know you kind of don't get you know you get to it and then you go on to another counselor um i think you know i i uh i found somebody um lane jones who's one of the founders of north point he's one of my best friends but I worked for him for a while, and I looked at Lane, and I thought, you know what? You've got the marriage, and you've got the relationship with your kids I would like to have. He's 10, 15 years in front of me, right? Somewhere in between there. And I just said, I told my wife the other day, if I die, I want him to do my funeral, so why would why would I not ask him to speak into my life now, you know? So I asked him that, and he's like, no, I won't do that, but I'll be your friend, and I'll meet with you once a week. With How does that sound? And I said, that sounds great. And so, um, that was probably seven years ago, a couple guys have joined. And so I've got my Thursday morning, last 10% group of guys, you know, and it's, it's great. But then again, I do think that's a unique relationship. I feel like those things kind of, kind of run their course and you fall in and out of like, you know, relationships that you can be really, really close with somebody, you know, and during those seven years, we've both, we've all there's four of us at this point, and there have been four for a long since pretty much the beginning. We've all had good and bad times, and sometimes you know, sometimes it's about you, and sometimes it's not because it depends on what people are going through. So I think that's good. Um, other ways I've become a secure leader. I don't know. I just I would say um, sometimes it just. I, 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 nobody can see my facial expression, but I like to say, hey, the proper the proper, you know, facial expression for a leader of young leaders often is this gritting your teeth like you should often feel like, oh my gosh, I hope this works. And so sometimes I have found that I have to force myself to do something I don't want to do to prove to myself that it will work without me. You know what I mean? So one time I was we were going into a camp season. This was a kind of a defining moment. And I was like, I'm not going to go to camp this weekend. You know, you're already gone seven weekends to take care of all these camps. I'm not going to go one weekend. And you know what? It went great. You know what I mean? And I couldn't stay away. So I drove in Sunday morning and nothing had burned down. And, you know, there was the appropriate amount of emergency room visits and nothing crazy, you know? Um, And it was like this moment where I was like, okay. Good. You know, I had a maybe, maybe a moment I had that a lot of people don't have is when I was young, I was an up and coming teacher in this school. And we had a great principal who was brought in to kind of clean it up. And I was the first wave of new, you know, talent that they brought in. And she thought a lot of me and she gave me a ton of opportunities, whether I deserved them or not. I, I owe a lot to her. Her name was Mary. She recently passed away. But Mary, um, Then it came time for me to kind of move on to my next challenge. So I went off to be a, you know, uh, to work at a private school where they were going to pay for my master's degree in educational leadership. So it was, you know, it was a good move financially. It was a new challenge. I was going to move from middle school to high school, which is what my original training was. Um, So when it came time to break the news to her, um, I sat down and I had prepped for this conversation as a young, arrogant kid. And I was just basically said, I'm sorry, but I got to go. And then she swore and then um and then i started on uh here's what i think you guys ought to do to kind of get along without me and in the middle of it she stopped me and she goes "chef you do know we're going to be okay without you don't you" and probably one of the more defining moments of my life you know and just like transit is doing great without me at north point you know a year and couple months later, you know, mm-hmm. someday orange will do great without me. But, you know, our job is not our job is to, to do what God has put in front of us and to do what we can. But eventually, just like those counselors who run out of a bag of tricks, so do we. And we should, you know, we should be free to move on to the next thing. So I'm talking a lot no, more than you ask. Is, see, you told me great. you told me that I told you this was too many questions. And now you understand what I
0: mean. Hey, no, <laughs> this I this is great. Good. So, for being on staff at Orange for a little over a year, what what have you learned in your time since being at Orange?
2: Um. Oh my gosh, I've learned lots of things. Um. Personally, as a leader, one of the things I've really had to work on was I've gone into a new environment where people aren't necessarily used to me and my style. Um, and as you've probably heard in this hot podcast, like. My rhetoric can sound harsh, you know. Um, I grew up in the north. I grew up in a steel town in a blue, co- like blue collar steel town. This is what I do, and I, I tend to address things head on. Um, for some people, that's unsettling. For some people, they they especially super relational people, which I I really think the relationship side is important. I just wanna I want to decide logically what we're gonna do, and then go back and consider the relationships and the best. Are approach. you like
1: three on the enneagram? I,
2: you know what? I haven't done it yet. I don't know.
1: I bet you're a three. I'm sitting next to a three right now. And that's yeah. how he does things.
2: Well, you know. And I'm a one, two,
1: and so I bleed. My heart bleeds all over people, right. all over the
2: place. Well, that's why my old boss was super, like, all he could see was the relationship. So I had to learn to to talk about my ideas and consider the relationships and consider what he would be worried about in order to get it. <laughs> through. Does that make sense? It makes so so much sense. I can tell from your uh, reactions. So, but especially in a new environment, I have to learn to preface things with, hey, this may be a bad idea, but, or now I don't want to consider the relational side of this yet, but let me throw this idea out there and see what you guys think. I have to go out of my way to say, this is me thinking out loud. This is not me telling you what I want done or what I think, even what I think should be done. I'm just telling you what I'm thinking in the moment. I'm also a verbal processor, so I have to do that a ton. Um, again, so you can't hold me to anything I've said on this podcast because I was just processing, thinking. <laughs> they weren't statements of fact. That's
1: what I try to get away with saying that all the time, and I never can. <laughs> People are always like, "But you said, well, okay, right. I said it, uh, but did I mean it, or right. was I just talking? Because there's yeah. a
2: difference." Well, on the other side of that, you also have to say, okay, now this is a decision, you know, here here's the decision and here's where we're moving and going forward. So I've had to learn a lot about that. Um, I also, you know, again, it's always a reminder. I think, you know, the number one thing I say to myself is shut up, chef, you know, and I just find myself saying the older I get, the more I find myself saying it, you know, and just really listen. I think. Asking better questions is something I'm learning, um, and you know, I mean, I I read Steve and Covey for seek to what is it, seek to understand before being understood. I can't, he says it so much better, whatever that is. But um, I've known that forever, you know, and but I'm only getting to the point where I understand it, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, I'm just, you know, gosh, so much to learn, so much. It's definitely, I mean, one of the things I'm learning is business, you know, because it's a different, it's a different world. That you know, some of my projects, I love working with teams, and so some of the things I'm doing beyond curriculum is I'm kind of helping our IT team kind of think about how they're structured. You know, I'm good with structuring teams and what different people do. So I'm learning all kinds of things and vocabulary I never knew before, and you know marketing campaigns and all these things i've never really had to think about um because it just wasn't part of my business so super fun learning how to get um uh, web designers to do what you've asked them to do for what they said they're going to do it for on time that's a new you know skill which is impossible by the way so the the answer is to um Hear what they have to say, how long that they think it'll take, and figure out what they think it'll cost, and then you tell the organization it will take three times longer than they said and cost two times more than they said, and then you over under promise and over deliver. That's how that works, um, but usually right on time because the web world is hard. If you've ever tried to build a web page or an app, holy cow, it is it's a it's it's very difficult. So I'm learning those sorts of things too, just skill set stuff. It's very humbling, which is great.
0: So just as we're wrapping up, we always have a few questions that we love to ask everybody. Yeah. And the first is what's one thing that is helping you either personally or professionally right
2: now? One thing that's helping me personally and professionally right now. Um, I think I, it's my mountain bike. Probably I'm learning to take care of myself and learning what really, um, really helps me process. And the beauty of my mountain bike is I get a workout and I get, um, you know, it's a two for one. I, I get, I get out into the woods, I get some thinking time, I get some decompression time and I get my heart rate up, you know, and at 45 that matters. Um, my metabolism is slowing quickly. So Gotta, gotta get out on a mountain bike more more often so it's probably on a mountain bike is the thing I would say right now
1: what advice would you give someone who is eager to learn
2: I would say don't miss the lessons right in front of your face Um, so many young folks come to me like what book should I read whatever I'm like you know what is a really interesting thing to learn is how to lead volunteers or they say to me someday I want to maybe have a job like yours and have people report to me, you know, can you teach me about leadership? And I'm like, you've got 25 volunteers, you know, if you can lead someone who's not paid and under contract to work for you, you will lead people who are paid and under contract to work for you much better, you know? So, so pay attention to those volunteers, pay attention to the lessons, pay attention to what's working and what's not working right in front of your face.
1: Now, this is my favorite question. And it's if you could teach every if you would have everybody learn one thing (laughs) and this one thing could range from being able to make the perfect peanut butter sandwich (laughs) or it could be something highly philosophical and very like, you know, deep. what would the thing be?
2: Well, I'll give you one philosophical and one simple. How's that sound? That the simple perfect. one is if I could get everybody to learn that the left lane is for fast drivers <laughs> and the right lane is for slow drivers, that would be awesome.
1: <laughs> That's actually philosophical, uh, too.
2: Just put yeah, that yeah. out
1: there. Gosh, that would change my world. Um, Especially living in the, in the Atlanta area
2: for you. Yes.
1: That's gotta be not- rough.
2: It's a law where I came from in Pennsylvania. Like, you can get pulled over for going slow in the left lane. Here in Atlanta, it's just – like, or you can get pulled over for passing on the right. But in Georgia, nope. Whatever lane you want, go ahead and pick it and just keep rolling. So um, philosophically, I would say, especially in this culture, um, if I can get everybody to learn to refuse to take sides on issues that don't actually have sides, that would be – Super helpful, especially when it comes to ministry and it becomes of these topics, whether it's, you know, again, like, uh, I can't give any examples without being po- political, right? I mean, because, yeah. you know, we can't even talk about the important issues because someone's going to say i have taken a side when there's really no sides, you know? Let um, uh, I mean, the LGBT issue with the church, you know, it's like— that is a complicated, complex, personal, psychological, spiritual, there are so many things going on right there. And to be, and to to talk about it as if there's a one or the other answer is just, it's just ridiculous. And it's killing us right now. And it's not only killing us, there are kids who are dying in the middle of it. I mean, a kid who is, questioning that has a 300% higher chance of committing suicide. And what we're arguing with our views of things and 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 not, not ministering because we're trying to figure out our theology, you know, it, it's just killing us. And so whether it's that issue or, you know, I mean, gosh, you can go on all kinds of issues. So if I can get everybody to just say, you know what? That's a way too complex answer, you know, question for me to really have an answer to that. Like, what do I think about that? I think a thousand things about that. You know, do you have, a, can you be more specific, you know, about, Um. so, it, you know, when people come to me, they ask me about, um, it's so, it's so funny the sort of things they'll use. They'll ask me about that issue and they'll, they'll say something about, well, what do you think about the gay issue? Let's say that. And I will say, Question and they get mad at me, but I will say um, I'd love to talk about all these things. By the way, I don't want to email about it. I don't want to blog about it. I want to talk to you face and face, face to face and look look at our eyeballs and let's talk about that. Um, but uh, excuse the question, but what do you mean by gay? And they don't know how to answer that question because it is a complex thing. Is it I've felt that way? Is it I'm in a relationship? Is it I want to be in a relationship and would? Is it I feel that way? but I don't feel like it's honoring to God is it, you know, I mean, there's a thousand different answers um, to that and it's such a complicated issue. So I guess, you know, to go back to, again, you might edit this whole thing because we've just gone down a little bit of a road there that I, that I probably wouldn't do a podcast on, but I would sit and talk in a circle about, um, you know, I want everyone to quit taking sides on things that don't have sides. So just a thought.
0: And
2: then finally what are you learning right now what am i learning right now well as i said i'm learning a ton of business systems and digital strategy and and all of that um and i'm also you know one of the things that's happened recently is um we acquired youth specialties um orange and dym together so You know, Doug Fields and I are on the phone just about every day as we're the volunteer CEOs of this thing, of this beloved brand that people love as we're trying to kind of reinvigorate, you know, the the conference. I'm pretty excited because we we've just crossed 4000 people for a conference that hasn't been. I mean, it's the highest it's been since, I think, 2007. We're we're running out of seats. We're going to sell out of this thing. So that's fun. But, you know, what I'm learning is really the history of youth ministry you know who the greats are who have moved the ball down the field. I've been watching Mike Iaconelli, you know, talks on YouTube and on the phones with a Duffy Robbins. And, you know, just just amazing. And Doug, I mean, gosh, Doug is he's a, you know, he's kind of the Garth Brooks of youth ministry, right? Greatest of all time. So.
1: Well, um, you just made a controversial statement. <laughs> there are some people burning jerseys and shoes in the street right now. That's a that's another controversial statement. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow, we're just not doing well right now.
2: <laughs> Garth Brooks, even if he's not even gonna sing that hard, you still want him at your event, right? I mean, so I mean
1: what, what about George Strait? I
2: mean, hey, George Strait is amazing. He hasn't sold the records of Garth Brooks. Song, so I didn't say I didn't say Doug was talented. I just said he's he's considered the greatest of all time so that's for you doug <laughs> oh my uh, oh.
0: oh hey chef thanks so much for being on the learner's corner today if people yeah. want to continue to learn from you find out more about you where's the best place for them to do that
2: well um they can come to just uh coach chef uh dot com if you want to get in touch with me or you know maybe have me do something with you I'll do some coaching on the side I've got like a spot available right now I think um or the Rethinking Youth Ministry Podcast is a podcast I am on regularly. Um I've got an episode uh and on the thinkers corner uh or the, the learner's corner <laughs> learner's corner <laughs>
0: that was awesome
2: that's awesome the learner's corner you can check it out um, at uh, the Learner's Corner. Um, and, uh, you know, orange I'll be on Orange Tours, always at an Orange Conference, or come to the National Youth Workers Convention and let's talk in November. So that's where I'll be. would love to see everybody.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for being on the podcast today.
2: You bet, man.
1: So, Caleb, love talking with Chef. What's something that you got away from
0: that? You know, I feel like we've been talking about this a lot over the past few weeks, but really the importance of developing um, your character and specifically he talked about dealing with your insecurities as a leader and how insecurities can make you crazy Um, and really just the importance of uh, just addressing those like I know and he talked about um, like going to counseling stuff like that and I've done that before and I know that you've done that before um, to just address um, stuff in our past and the insecurities that have come from that and so yeah I think that that's just one thing that is just so um, underappreciated and underestimated as it concerns becoming, um, becoming a better leader and just becoming a better person.
1: Yeah, well, I think one of the things I took away was um, just the idea that um, as you rise in leadership, your job becomes less about telling others what to do and more about coaching them how to be their best. Um, and I think that was and helping
0: them how to think,
1: yeah, helping people to understand how to think for themselves, not just think, but think for themselves mm-hmm. um, and be able to make decisions based off of their morals, the things that they believe, um, and, and to be able to make correct decisions in, in pressure situations. Um, that was that was huge. and and for me, it's a tension um, because I am always, I am I am a cheerleader by nature. I am always trying to cheer people on, and so sometimes I get sucked in the other way, where I'm just always cheering and they're, and, they're, and, I, and I don't I don't give a whole lot of critique. And I think that one of the things I took away from from with that piece is that you know there's oftentimes not very many times when we have to point to the org chart and say you know I want you to do this because I'm in charge of you. Most of the time, if we're effective in our coaching, if we're effective in our cheerleading, if we're effective in um, helping people to feel like they're part of the team and, and helping them to get better as a, as a leader, um, the problems take care of themselves. And so um, it goes back to the thought that I always have where oftentimes if there's a mistake, it's because the leader made the mistake. It's not because the subordinate did. And so I'm um, super grateful for that piece of insight. Great episode. Love getting to talk with Chef.
0: Now... As we've uh, mentioned all throughout this month, we are releasing two episodes throughout the week. And so uh, actually on Thursday, we're going to be talking about what we learned from this year's Catalyst Conference. And the theme for that was Fully Alive. And so the best way to make sure that you don't miss that conversation or any of the episodes that we're going to be releasing all throughout this month is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player you use. Also, don't forget to leave a rating and write a review of the podcast. Let us know what you're learning about, what you would like to learn about, how we can continue to grow and improve as a podcast as well. Thank you so much for listening to the Learner's Corner today. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Ball. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.
1: Deuces, y'all.